comes from two places. We'll begin at John chapter 14, verse 1 through 11. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. And then we'll jump to John chapter 16 and go from verses 25 to 33. So I'll, I'll guide us along. We'll begin in John chapter 14, verse 1. John chapter 14, verse 1. Please rise. This is the word of God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. We'll now go to John chapter 16, Verses 25 to 33. John 16, verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I, come, that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming indeed, it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes, it's important to have friends. Uh, 
they, they understand the importance of having friends. And you know, it's one of those rare occasions where they've actually built their lives around their community, uh, not the other way around. Um, and so, um, you know, for those of you who are still shy, um, you know, afraid of intimacy, or you know, maybe just not comfortable around people, I want to encourage you to, uh, to, to seek out community, to seek out friends. And um, because the Lord calls us, as we saw last week, as a church, to love one another, to grow together, and to journey together. And so, uh, thank you for that. Well, uh, we'll look at today's text, uh, John 14, and uh, 1 to 11, and going into 16, sort of as, as bookends. Now, we talked about this uh, um, last week, but we, we find here in today's text that Jesus has only about one or two more days to live. And so Jesus, what he does is he, he has this last meal together, and he makes his departure known to his disciples. He says, I'm going to go away. Now, at first, the disciples are confused. They ask questions like, hey, where are you going? How come we can't follow you? But the disciples, soon realizing that Jesus' departure is inevitable, they know that they can't do anything about it now. The disciples, they lose heart. They enter into a time of despair at the thought that all of this, all of what they were doing, now has to come to an end. Now, I want you to imagine, just for a moment, right, put yourself in the shoes of the disciples, right? Imagine at the peak of your life, at the peak of your career, you meet someone, you meet a man, and you are intrigued by his ideas, you are captivated by his potential. You see his charisma, you see his brilliance, and you see his power. And this man was unlike anyone else. And so what do you do? You leave your job to be a part of this man's vision. You leave your family to spend time with this man because timing is critical. And community, well, you leave that too, to be near this man. And you do this for over three years. And in that three-year time, you know, things start to materialize. There's a bigger following, and this vision of this man is being heard and believed. You feel as though this man and his vision is disrupting the status quo. The air is thick, and the environment is ripe for change, for a revolution. And you're at the center of it with this man. But one evening, the leader of this movement gathers his close followers, the people who've been with him from the very beginning, and while breaking bread, he says, I have to leave. All of this right here, what we're doing right now, this has to end. I mean, how, how would you feel? What would be going through your mind? See, this is what's happening to the disciples. In the Last Supper, when they're met with the news that everything that they had given their lives for Everything was now going to end. There's a cloud of emptiness and despair that comes over them. You see, they were faced with now this unsure future, and it caused them to be anxious. It caused them to worry. And they were scared. Fear gripped them. Uncertainty crippled them. And so we find in this last evening together, Jesus, he really responds to their fears and their sentiments. Jesus, he responds to what they're feeling. He addresses them. And he does so in very concrete ways, 
but he also does it in very abstract ways. He gives them assurance with respect to the near, near future, but he also talks to them about a future that's far out. He counsels their hearts, but he also gives them solid truths that they can wrap their minds around and real promises that they can almost grasp. And so for the next few weeks, we'll, we'll spend our time looking at uh, this portion of John, the farewell discourse, starting from the end of chapter 13 all the way to 17. And today, I just want to focus our attention on how Jesus, how he consoles them, how he comforts them. I just want to break it down into three points, okay? There are three things that he does that I want to focus on today in terms of how he consoles them, okay? First, there's a negative command. Second, there's a positive command. And third, there's a promise. So first, a negative command, and then a positive command, and finally, a promise. And so we'll look first at the negative command. If you look in your Bibles with me to chapter 14, verse 1, this is how Jesus begins. He says... Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. You know, Jesus doesn't say, hey, don't be troubled. Right? But what does he say? He says, don't allow your hearts to be troubled. In other words, Jesus is telling them, hey, don't let all this doubt and fear that's surrounding you, don't let it rule and control your heart. In other words, don't let the teeth of uncertainty sink itself into your heart. See, what Jesus is teaching here is he's teaching his disciples to actually direct their heart, to lead their heart. He's telling them not to be led by their hearts and what's going on, but he's telling them to lead their hearts. See, this understanding, this teaching is, is quite at odds with, with what we find in the world, right? What is the message of the world that we find with, you know, respect to the heart? It's, it's usually, hey, follow your heart, right? Listen to your heart. Let your heart guide you, right? That's the classic Disney message, right? Let your heart lead you. Follow your heart. You know, there, there's a quote uh, that I have up here from uh, Nikki Martinez um, she writes uh, occasionally for the Huffington Post. But uh, this, I think, captures quite well the spirit of our culture. She writes this. I find it important to highlight the concept of listening to your heart because it knows your true desires. Your heart knows your wants and needs and what will genuinely make you fulfilled. When we are willing to ask ourselves what is truly in our hearts, we open ourselves up to possibility, possibility to fulfill our heart's desires and to be who we were truly meant to be, doing what we were meant to do. You see, the, the world considers the heart, right, to be the purest form of who you are, your very essence. It's your core being. And so by listening to your heart, what you're doing is you're becoming your truest self. That's what the world teaches. Denying your heart is to be at odds with who you are. Now, the Bible agrees that the heart is really important. But it disagrees with the premise that the heart is a neutral thing. See, the Bible knows and understands, and it teaches throughout, that the heart is something that's very frail. 
The heart is something that's easily influenced. The heart is not the sum of your being that's the perfect representation of who you are. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible understands that the heart is not a neutral thing. I mean, just look at what is written in Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart is, a deceitful, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful. See, Jesus, he understands this. He sees that the disciples have become disheartened. He sees that they have lost heart. He sees that the disciples have allowed or permitted their hearts to be troubled. He sees that they have let sorrow fill their hearts. He sees that they have allowed these things to enter into their hearts, and so he addresses it from the very beginning. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Make sure that your hearts are not troubled. See, that's why the Bible tells us you know, all throughout, you'll find things like Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it will flow the springs of life. In other words, protect your heart. Guard your heart. Keep watch over your heart. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. It's not a message of, hey, follow your heart. Follow what your heart is telling you to do. Listen to your heart. But Jesus is saying, watch your heart. Friends, Christians, I, I cannot stress the importance of this, the guarding of the heart. See, if, if I can just use this as an analogy, you know, the heart, yes, is from where the, the, the springs of life flow. Yes, your heart is like the headwaters, right? It's the source of where life will flow from you. And to protect this heart, you have to know that your ears, your ears and your eyes are the gatekeepers. They are the gatekeepers of your heart. Protect what you allow to enter. Protect what you allow to enter into your heart. You know, on, as, on a more practical scale as Christians, you know, this, this reminds us daily. Not just daily, but night and day. We ought to examine our hearts by the means of grace, by the word and prayer. We ought to continue to take a temperature of it and tune it to the songs of grace. You know, for those of you who enjoy symphonies, right, at every concert you go to, the orchestra plays the first same song, right? What is it? It's, it's an ancient song called tuning, right? <laughs> All right. Well, I need a erase this. <laughs> that did not work. You know, the, the orchestra, no matter how good, they, they begin with uh, tuning. They tune their instruments. You know, that's, that's what your heart is. It's an instrument. It's an instrument that needs daily tuning. And to make matters real simple, listen, uh, the Bible teaches us, Scripture teaches us, that our hearts are never our guide. Our hearts are never our guide. But the words of Christ the gospel is the actual railroad tracks that are laid down through which our hearts move forward. First thing that Jesus does is he gives this negative command to, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. Watch what you are allowing into your hearts. The second thing that he does is he gives a positive command. 
He says, believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse 1. Jesus here is not saying, hey, believe in God. Believe God in the modern religious sense. Yes, believe that he exists. That's not what he's saying. He's saying believe in. A better translation is trust in God. Trust also in me. See, in the midst of doubt and fear and uncertainty, Jesus' message is trust. The disciples don't understand why Jesus has to depart. They don't understand why all of this has to come to an end. They don't understand the cross. They can't foresee the resurrection. They have absolutely no clue what Jesus is going to do. And Jesus there in that evening, he doesn't sit there spending hours upon hours trying to explain it to them in the wee hours of the morning. No. Jesus' message is quite simple. He says, trust. Trust God, trust me. Jesus doesn't take a napkin out during supper time and starts drawing, right? Something like what we find here. He doesn't say, hey, listen, this is what propitiation is. This is, you know, vicarious atonement. This is what I'm going to do. These are what the prophet said. He doesn't try to explain it all. He knows that later on the Holy Spirit is going to come. He knows that the Holy Spirit will eventually guide them and bring to remembrance all that Jesus has said. But his message that evening is simply, trust me. When the disciples are feeling angst, when they're worried, when they're doubting, when the uncertainty of the future has weighed so heavy upon them, he says, trust God, trust me. In other words, with this one command, Jesus, he is calling his disciples to shift all their weight of doubt and fear onto him. He's saying, shift all of that onto me now. He's saying, recalibrate your minds and let your hearts be, be refocused on the things that I am telling you. Jesus is telling them, hey, listen, let my words right now be your meta-narrative. You see, you, you, we, we can quite well understand what the disciples are going through. See, we know what, what doubt and fear is like. No one likes uncertainty of the future. We understand what the disciples are going through. But in this one simple command, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, all of that, shift that onto me. You know, there are, I think, three categories of people. As many of you might feel this morning, you might feel like the disciples, full of doubt, full of fear, full of angst, full of worry, filled with the uncertainty of the future and not knowing, hey, what's going on? Where am I going? But there's also another group of people, and I think there might be some here, who are actually rather confident, who aren't fearful, who aren't filled with anxiety. You know, this week I really had to examine myself to see, you know, where I was at. And, and I felt as though, you know what, I felt good. I felt good. You know what, I'm not fearful. I'm not doubtful. You know, and, and I felt really good about myself, but as I was examining myself, you know, guarding my heart as I was protecting it and, and just spending some time, I realized that, that this feeling of just protection, this, this goodness that I was going through, this confidence that I was going through, was actually a very thin veil. It was a confidence 
not in Jesus, but it was actually a confidence in my plans, my thoughts, the things that I was executing. And for the second group of people, for those of you who are sitting here today saying, you know what, I think everything is good. I want to ask you, why is it that you are feeling good? Why is it that you are not fearful? Is it because you have padded for yourself things in the flesh? Is it because your confidence is in the things that you have done and the things that you have stored up for yourself? Because if you really examine yourselves and you, and you look at this, what, what, what happened to me at least this week was I started to see that this was such a thin veil. And when, and when that started to crumble, fear started to seep in again. I started to feel doubtful. But the third category, the third type of person that Jesus is calling his disciples to be is to take, to not be fearful, to not have confidence in the flesh, but to shift all of the uncertainty that they face onto him, to trust God, trust in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Listen, and this is a point, so for, for those of you who are fearful, for those of you who are filled with doubt this morning, yes, the message is that trust God. But for those of you who are trusting other things, for those of you who are trusting your career, your past, your history, and whatever it is that you have stored up, the message is see that as a thin veil that's going to crumble and trust God. The third point that I want to look at is after Jesus gives the negative, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in me, he gives a promise. We see that Jesus' words, this, these words of comfort are not built on empty words, but they're built on promises. Throughout this narrative or throughout this discourse, Jesus says this, hey, my departure is good. I am leaving for your good. He's saying, I'm not leaving you as orphans. What's going on right now is not a failed or aborted mission. But he's saying, I am leaving to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. You know, Jesus knows that his disciples are worried about the future. Right? The disciples are men who have put all their chips into Jesus when they decided to follow him. But with this impending departure, their futures are uncertain. They're wondering, what is going to happen to us now? If Jesus is condemned the criminal, what's going to happen to me? Knowing this, knowing full well their angst and their anxiety, Jesus, he gives them a promise concerning the future. You know, I find it interesting that he, his, his future, or the, this future promise that he gives, he gives it in the metaphor of a home a home metaphor. Right? Like, think about the disciples. They were, in some sense, nomads. They traveled. Right? They, Jesus was an itinerant preacher. They went from town to town. Right? And, and all, all these three years, the disciples, their minds are on where? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. We need to get there. We need to get to the capital. That's our destination. But when Jesus, he reveals to them this evening that he's going away, he gives them a promise, not of Jerusalem, but the promise that he gives is home. I'm going to my father's house, and there I will prepare a room for you. 
See, he knows that the disciples are anxious and they're worried. They're concerned what is going to happen. And this promise of the future that he gives was concerning a future that maybe they necessarily, they weren't concerned about at that moment. But he gave to them a promise of a future that the doubts and the fears of this world cannot touch. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You know, Jesus, throughout this, this farewell discourse, you know, he doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't talk about the difficulties, or he, he, he does not fail to mention the difficulties that they are going to face. Yes, Jesus doesn't hakuna matata everything. He doesn't say, hey, it's going to be all right. He knows that there are difficulties. He talks about the tribulations that they're going to face. He talks about how the world is going to hate them. But by giving them a promise of something that is not of this world, by giving them a promise that is otherworldly, he reaches in and he gives to them a peace and joy that this world cannot offer. By giving them a promise of the future, he gives them something that this world cannot touch, that this world cannot take away. I mean, these are some of the words that Jesus says in this long section. 1427, he says, this peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, not in the same manner that the world gives, but I give you my peace. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. 1511, he says this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 1622, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And as we read today, John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus, by giving us a promise of the future that is not of this world, he's basically cutting off all the fears and doubts and the uncertainties that we faced here in the present, he's saying all of these things will have absolutely no impact on that. Everything that we face right now in this moment will have no effect on the future promises that we receive in Christ. He's cutting them off. And what I give to you, this world cannot take away. You know, there's a man, a well-known man by the name of Horatio Spafford. He was a well-known man who, who wrote a famous hymn. And, uh, you know, it seemed as though this man really encompassed and he embodied, he understood this peace, this hope. He was born in the early 1800s, and he was a very successful lawyer in Chicago. More importantly, he was a follower of Jesus. He was a disciple. But in the 1870s, he had lost his one and only son. And soon after, the great Chicago fire took away everything that he had. 
He made some huge investments uh, down by the, by the shore of the Lake of Michigan, and he had lost everything. A few years later, Spafford, he desperately needed rest. And so he planned a trip with his wife and his four daughters to cross the Atlantic Ocean and to go into Great Britain, or as the Brits say, to cross the pond. <laughs> they had planned to cross over because there were these evangelistic campaigns by people like Dwight Moody, and they wanted to be a part of that, to support that, and to just find rest. He meant to travel with his family, but then there was a last-minute business transaction. He had to send his family ahead first, and he said, I will join you soon. His wife and his four daughters, as they traveled across the Atlantic, that ship hit an iron vessel on November 22nd, and in 12 minutes, that ship sank. After the survivors, they finally landed in Wales, Spafford, his wife, she telegraphs him. She sends him a note with just these words. Saved alone, what shall I do? Shortly after Spafford, he gets on a boat and he promises, I will be there soon. And he travels that Atlantic Ocean. He travels that same sea in which his four daughters were drowned. And he pens this song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roar, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials may come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. In the midst of angst and worry and painful tribulation and trials, this man allowed the story of Christ to control him, this assurance to control him. And as he writes these words, it is well with my soul. You can see that this pain is now controlled by this peace and joy that is not of this world. And the song has brought tremendous, tremendous relief and comfort to believers throughout the generations. You know, in closing, I, I just um, want to be clear about something from today's message. The disciples, after hearing Jesus' words, don't, be, don't lose heart, trust God, trust in me. After they hear the words, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you, the disciples are ready to buy in again. The disciples are ready to, you know what? Yeah, let's, let's yeah, Jesus knows what he's doing. But still, if you read the letter, or if you, if you read the gospel, still they are slightly missing it. And this is something that I have to point out. As disciples are hearing the words of assurance and comfort, yes, they want to buy in, but they're circling it without hitting it at the center. They're going around and around it, and they're, and they're in, in some sense missing the point. When Jesus says this, hey, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you, they say, you know, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. 
Jesus says, listen, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. I'm going to make a way for the Father. You know the way, right? And what do the disciples say? No, we don't. We don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. And that's where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, after that, Philip says, okay, Jesus, that's great. Okay, we think we get it now. But then Philip says this, hey, Jesus, can you just show us the Father? Can you just show us the Father? And that's, that's a, that'll be enough for us. We'll believe you. And they're missing the point again. Jesus says, you have me. That is enough. You see, I, I think it's important that we bring this up because the disciples, they are willing to buy into Jesus' message, but they are missing the centrality of the message. They are missing the centrality of Jesus. See, they understood Jesus just as a prophet, as a mouthpiece, as a communicator, just as a medium. In other words, Jesus was just a means to an end. How is it that through Jesus we can attain these things? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You're missing the point again. He's saying, I am the way. I am enough. I am the promises. In other words, they're buying into this message and say, oh, that sounds great. What good news. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm not sharing good news. I am the good news. The disciples are saying, you know what, we'll buy, but we'll buy into your message, but just show us the Father. That's all that we need. We'll believe you then. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. If you see me, you see the Father. And this is the message that I think we must not miss tonight, today, this morning as we close. You see, we can sit here and say, you know what, I like, I like that. Yeah, you know what, I'm not going to let my hearts be troubled. And I'm going to trust in God. And I know that Jesus is now going to make, a way, make the way for me. And I like this message, so how can it be mine? And if that's what you're thinking... You're missing the point. The gospel of Jesus is not about how he makes the way. But the gospel of Jesus is about how he is the way. It's not about how Jesus speaks the truth. But the gospel is that he himself is the truth. Jesus is not the giver of life but he is life himself. You say, the way to the Father, what is the way to the Father? Jesus says, I am the way to the Father. What is the truth amidst all of this, this environment, these lies, these circumstances, what is the truth? And Jesus says, I am the truth. What is life? How can we attain eternal life? Jesus says, I am the life. The gospel tells us that Jesus is not the dispenser or the giver of gifts, but the gospel tells us that Jesus himself is the gift. And when the disciples finally understand this, at last they say, we get it. We get it. 
You know, it's actually quite a common symptom in the church today. Yeah, we can understand the truths of the gospel. We can understand, you know, the Bible and everything that Jesus is saying. We can understand, you know, eternal life. Yes, yes, the worries of this world, we can get all of that. But if we miss Jesus, if we see Jesus just as a tour guide throughout all of life to bring us into heaven, we have missed it. We are circling it without actually hitting it. Jesus, Jesus. You know, let me just simply say, you know, a child, uh, do you remember your children or your child, their first words? Usually mommy, right? Usually mommy, right? Anyone daddy? No, yeah, bad, bad, yeah. No, usually mommy. Usually mommy is the first words that a kid learns. Mom, 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 mommy, mommy. And you know, whatever your journey may be and however long your life may be, whatever dark doubts and sorrows and fears you may go through and uncertainties, you know, our last words, our last word ought to simply be Jesus. Not Jesus is the way or Jesus, through Jesus we can get life or through Jesus it's this, but our last word is simply Jesus. Jesus is life. Join me in prayer.